Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 20, how God's goal was to use Abraham to save King Abimelech from his sins. And that is what God has in mind for every person who is far from God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, and also on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast with Tom Cantor. Now, are you interested in helping the Jewish people find their Messiah? Well, you can support Jewish evangelism through the Friendship with God radio program, especially with all that's going on in Israel right now. You can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or also you can donate online at israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. Now, we have several teachings to offer you as our resource of the month. Tom Cantor is our amazing Bible teacher, and we have some small pocket-sized teaching and tracts that can help you grow in your faith, prayers, and your witness. These resources we are offering from Tom Cantor are called How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53, How to Pray for the Lost by Tom Cantor, How to Pray for the Saints by Tom Cantor, and What Kind of Love is God's Love from Tom Cantor. These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable and simple Christian lessons. All of these teaching resources are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will help to support this program staying on this station that you're listening to. Now call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can go to our online bookstore or you can donate to support this Bible teaching radio program and evangelical outreach ministry with Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 20 today on how God's goal was to use Abraham to save King Abimelech from his sins and that it's what God has in mind for every person who is far from God. So, let's look first of all to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. It means so much to us, Lord, because it's the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord, from your mouth to our ears, to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 20. Please follow along here as I begin reading here in uh, verse 7. Genesis 20, verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. For if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds that to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought... Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place, whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham, and restored Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah, 
He said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering in the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of all the house of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, now, in our last study, you remember, that we came to this central verse, and that's where I started reading this morning in verse 7, because everything revolves around this verse. This is a verse where everything comes together. God had pronounced to Abimelech, you remember, that he was a dead man, and God, we saw last time, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked or in the death of Abimelech. God had no pleasure in that. That's what he said in Ezekiel 33:11 when he says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn. See, there's this word that God used. Turn from his way and live. And then he says... Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So you see, in that verse in Ezekiel 33:11, God uses that term, turn, three times. Because that's what God has pleasure in. He loves to see people turn from their sins. That's what God loves to see. He loves to spare the wicked from eternal death. He doesn't have pleasure in their death. And this chapter... In chapter 20 here, we're seeing here the turning of a man, which is the man Abimelech, and God is reaching his goal here, as we've been building up to this in chapter 20 here, verse 7, his, his goal to save Abimelech from his sin. So in verse 7, God doesn't use the word turn, but he uses another term, the word restore, in, in verse 7, he uses that twice, and he says, Now, therefore, restore the man his wife. For as a prophet, he'll pray for thee, and thou shalt live, thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, that know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Which shows that God has his mind on Sarah being restored. But that's not the only restoration that God has in mind, because God's really looking here, as we, as we sing here, that he wants to see the restoration of Abimelech. See, Abimelech should come to this ultimate restoration. What restoration? The restoration that we know about, that we've experienced, the restoration from the power of Satan to God, from sin to salvation, from being lost to being saved. That's all about restoration from a destiny of the devil's destruction to a destiny of God's great inheritance that he's given to us, from being an alien, an enemy of God, to being a reconciled friend of God, from hell to heaven, from light, from death to life. That's what he's talking about, the life here. So when we read that God uses this word restore, he's really talking about his favorite subject, God's favorite subject, which is not just only about Sarah being restored to Abraham, but of Abimelech's restoration to God. So that's what he wants. Now, it's very significant when we read what God said to Abimelech in verse 7. It says, restore the man his wife. See, that's interesting, those words, because those words are God's goal for broken marriages. You know, marriage counseling is not about you know, one person getting you on their side to be against the other person. That's how most marriage counseling kind of is sort of, you know, it says, let me tell you what he's done, and now you'll agree with me, he's really bad, you know. <laughs> or let me tell you what she's done, and I'm willing to get back together with her if she will agree to go to counseling because she's all messed up. 
See, those directions are not in the direction of reconciliation or restoration, but God's goal for marriages is restore. Restore the man his wife. And when another woman has come in and taken the heart of a husband, God's word to that woman, that woman is restore the husband his wife. And that's the restoration of the wife to the husband, the husband to the wife. That's the will of God. It's not divorce. Divorce is, that's why here at the chapel, when you go to counsel some, somebody who has marriage problems, then look, you know, God's goal is reconciliation, restoration. So is, is there a desire to accomplish that? Is there a desire to do that? Because that's what we want to accomplish here. Because God's view of divorce is very clear in Malachi 2, 15 through 16, where it says that, did not he make one? Yet he had residue of the Spirit. Wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. He hateth putting away. And the word putting away, shalak, the Hebrew word putting away, that's the same word, one of the first times it's actually used, is in Genesis 3.23, when you remember when it said, the Lord God sent him, Adam, forth out of the Garden of Eden. Maybe he threw him out. He pushed him out. God pushed him out. Said, you got to leave. Depart. Get away. And drove him out. That's the word, shalak. And God says, I hate shalak. I hate this pushing away, this go, depart. When the husband pushes his wife away. I hate it when the wife pushes her husband away. That's what he says. In Matthew 19.6, he says, There are no more two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, don't let man put asunder. That's the same idea as that word. That Greek word is the word kerizio, and that means to depart. For example, when it says that, you know, that one of them, like Paul departed, that's the word that was used there. All right. So then he says, uh, and then God gave a great warning to Abimelech in verse 7, where he said, and if thou restore her not, if you take that option, Abimelech, know thou that thou shalt surely die, all, thou and all that is thine. So here we see God gives to Abimelech a choice. He says, Abimelech, you can do, you can do this. In other words, God withheld Abimelech from sinning against him, but that was as far as God went with Abimelech. Then he says, in other words, God did not force Abimelech or override Abimelech's will about Sarah. God gave Abimelech a choice. Either Abimelech could choose to restore Sarah to Abraham, or Abimelech could refuse. Now he would die in that process, but this still was his choice. And if Abimelech made that fatal decision, if he chose to refuse to restore Abraham, then God made it very clear. He said, no, that you're going to die. And the words that God used as a warning were exactly the same words that God used to warn Adam in the garden. This is a terrifying words when he said in Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Same words. In Genesis 27, if thou refuse to, if thou, if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. And that's the way that God deals with lost sinners. That's the picture. He offers life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes to many lengths to try to persuade the lost 
to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts Christians in their path to witness to them. He convicts their heart of sin and of judgment and that this world is doomed. He foils their plans to sin like he did here with Abimelech. He makes the way of the transgressor hard as he did with Paul in Acts 9.5 when it says, the Lord said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But then as God did with Abimelech, So God does with the lost sinner, he leaves the final choice to the person. The final decision to believe or not to believe is left 100% to the lost person. As he said to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 when he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, God said, that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, so this is what God did. Then he he steps back and he says, now, I've set this before you as your judge. Now I'm going to step back and be your counselor, be your advisor, be your helper. And then that verse, he says, therefore, choose life that that, that both thou and thy seed may live. See, that's God. And so the way that God put that to the Jewish people is exactly how we see him putting this now to Abimelech, exactly how we see God putting this to lost sinners today. He said, I have set before you, God says. It's right there. And God's the one who sets before a person this life and death and blessing and cursing. And then he steps back, as he did with Abimelech, as he does with the lost, and he says, now I want to advise you, Don't choose the death and the cursing part. Choose life. And so God leaves the person absolutely alone to make his final decision. And then God honors that decision, and that decision determines the person's eternal destiny. It's going to be life in heaven, or it's going to be death in hell. And if we're to be the faithful prophet evangelist that God wants us to be, we'll do exactly the same thing. We'll we'll be that way. We'll set before the lost. In very clear terms, God's offer. He offers life or death. He offers blessing or cursing. And we'll use all the powers and the imagination that we can come up with to try to persuade them, to try to convince them, to do everything we can. But then, like God, we know that there's a time when we back off and we let the person make his own free will decision. It's his decision. And that's what we see God doing here with Abimelech. So verse 7, God's saying to Abimelech, Abimelech, the choice is yours. And that's always how God operates. He loves to see people make a choice. He loves choice. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ is a matter of choice. And just as he let Abimelech make his choice, God leaves both of those um, open to the to person. Believing the Bible, that's a choice. And just as he let Abimelech make his choice, God leaves the, the, the option, believe or not believe, open to man. Becoming the bride of Christ, becoming the part of the bride of Christ. It's the choice of the church. There's no forced marriages with God. He doesn't operate that way. There's no sovereignty of God that forces man to believe. There's no predestination where God prearranges who's going to believe and who's going to go to heaven and who's not going to believe and go to hell. Because when God said this word to Abimelech, the word if... In, in verse 20 there, that was the choice. He says, he said, if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die. See, that if is a very real possibility for Abimelech. And the choice was Abimelech's. And if Abimelech chose not to restore Sarah to Abraham, then Abimelech would suffer the consequences, and Abimelech would be totally responsible, 
and have no one to blame but himself. And that's the why God puts those words together, if and know thou. If and know thou. They're very important. If thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die. So he wants Abimelech to know that he would surely die because of his sin and of not restoring Sarah. And God wants every lost person to know that he's going to die, surely die if he doesn't obey God and take his free offer of salvation from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. And every person who's in hell today is there because of his choice. No person in hell can say that he's there because he wasn't part of the predestined group that God chose would would repent and obey him. Because there is no predestined group that God chooses is going to repent and obey. And that's why the words know thou in verse 7 are what what everybody knows in hell. That it is 100% their responsibility. But by saying in verse 7, if thou and then know thou, God is in essence saying that this is the responsibility. There's no such thing as irresistible grace that overrides a person's will in this matter. Okay, now, we've already seen how God in verse 7 told Abimelech that Abraham was a prophet. And what's interesting is what God told Abimelech about what Abraham would do. He said in verse 7, He is a prophet, he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. So we see clearly what a prophet is here with regard to how God is presenting Abraham to Abimelech. And a very interesting uh, illustration, I guess you call it, of the relationship of God to a prophet is seen in the interesting about Moses and his brother Aaron. Because there were, Moses, Moses, you know, Moses was a great man, but he also was a great arguer. <laughs> he had these arguments with God. And he, Moses was an argument between God. And one of the first arguments they had, Moses and God, it's not a good idea to argue with God. But anyway, this Moses, he did this. So. All right, so he was, he, Moses argued with God because over how eloquent a speaker Moses was. So God called Moses to go. He said, Moses, I want you to go. You speak to Pharaoh. You speak to the Jewish people. You speak to Israel. And then Moses told God that he didn't think he was qualified for the job because he wasn't a good speaker. So yeah, that, was the, that was the issue. And so God reminded Moses that he had taken his qualifications into account, and then he told him, I want to remind you that I created the mouth, that I made the mouth. So, you know, I'm qualified to choose you to be a good speaker. And so, and, he, and then he promised Moses, he said, now look, he says, uh, here, here's my promise to you, I'll be with your mouth. Those are the words that God used. I'll be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what to say. So he said, you're going to get into a situation where you're not going to know what to say, but don't worry. I'll teach you what to say. And I understand about your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. See? But Moses wasn't persuaded by those promises that God made. And he thought that God was wrong. And so Moses asked to be excused from the job. I've heard everything you say, God, but if you don't mind, can I have a pass? And, and that made God angry. And that's not a good idea either. And so then God said, okay, then I'll plug in Aaron. And so it says here in, in, in Exodus 4, 10 through 14, this, this, this argument, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not an eloquent, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. So you see what Moses thought about himself? He says, you know, I'm just not quick on my feet. I just can't, I can't come up with these answers. You know, I'm slow. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what was wrong with him. Maybe. Anyway, this is how he saw himself. Slow speech, slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, 
who hath made man's mouth? You know, who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go. In other words, he was saying to Moses, I know your problem is you don't want to go. So just go, and I'll be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And in other words, he says, choose anybody, but not me. You know, is what he's saying to God. He says, I don't care. Anybody else, not me. Take me off the list. And, and the Lord, and then it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, and, and don't you love the way this King James has this? The, the angel of the Lord was kindled. You ever made a fire and you use kindling wood and then you blow on it and all of a sudden the fire really gets going? That's the way it's described here. God's saying, you're kindling my fire. You know, you're lighting me up here, Moses. And, uh, but okay. And so then, and so in his anger, in God's anger, it says, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? And then God says something that's cutting, but it's actually hilarious. He says, I know that he can speak well. <laughs> I know that he can speak well. Yeah, he was a good speaker, all right. He told them how the calf came out of the fire. That's part of his speaking. But anyway, he says, and also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. We see thee, he'll be glad in his heart. So Aaron became the speaker for Moses. And that was the relationship between Moses and Aaron. See, when Moses wanted to speak, must have been quite a sight. When he wanted to speak, he would say, now, Aaron, you tell Pharaoh this, you know. And then, and then Aaron would speak for Moses, and that was the relationship. And so that relationship is described in Exodus 7.1, where it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. See, God, God was saying to Moses, now look, in that picture there, where you say something to Aaron, then Aaron speaks either to Pharaoh or to the children of Israel, that, that picture there is like when you're with Pharaoh, that, that you're God and Aaron's a prophet. See, he's the one speaking for me. And so, in other words, when Moses would speak to Pharaoh, Moses would speak to Aaron, and Aaron would speak to Pharaoh. And that relationship that God said was Moses was like the, was God and Aaron the prophet. In other words, Moses was speaking through Aaron, and Aaron spoke for Moses. And so God speaks through a prophet, and a prophet speaks for God. So what God is saying to Abimelech here was that God was speaking through Abraham, and Abraham was speaking for God. See, God was showing; he was telling Abimelech this. He said, "Look." You need to learn about God from Abraham. I'm going to speak from Abraham. That's a picture of how God wants us to be in the world that we are around lost people. We're like Abraham, and we should view our job as bringing the knowledge of God to the lost. So as prophets like Abraham, we speak for God, and God speaks through us. And that's what the Jewish people will be someday in the future, as hard as it is to imagine, but it's given to us in Zechariah 8.23, where it describes this scene, well, we can hardly imagine it, where it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We'll go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. See, in that coming day, Gentiles are going to come to the Jew and say, Tell us about God the Lord Jesus Christ. Take us to him, lead us to him. And then they'll fulfill their mission as prophets when they do that. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's who we are today. We are God's prophets today. We do that. And as prophets, what should our subject be? What, are, what should our subject be to the lost? 
thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. I'd like to give you Tom Cantor's contact information, but first, I want to remind you that we have several teachings and offers as our resource of the month from Tom Cantor. He's our amazing Bible teacher, and we have several resources, including How a Jew Learned the Meaning of Isaiah 53, How to Pray for the Lost, How to Pray for the Saints, and What Kind of Love is God's Love. These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable and simple Christian lessons. To get a hold of these resources, for a donation of $10 or more, you can call us now at 800-247-3051. It'll help support the Friendship with God radio program and keeping this Bible teaching radio program on the air. 800-247-3051. Now to write in for resources or to contact Tom Cantor by our P.O. Box, just write to Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330. Again, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. That's Santee, S-A-N-T-E-E, California, 92071. So again, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Write Tom Cantor or write in for resources or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org to our online resource bookstore center of all of Tom Cantor's materials as well as creation materials. Since Tom Cantor owns the Creation Earth History Museum, we have lots of creation resources online at friendshipwithgod.org. And also remember, Saturday, September 27th is Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum with Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hovind, and many other guest speakers. For more information, go to creationsd.org. Or again, call us at 800-247-3051.